Is there a sin that God says cannot be forgiven? Now, this is a great a bit of speculation has gone into this by many people. Some people say, well, the unpardonable sin is really if you kill someone, you can't be forgiven for that. Well, I want to ask you a question. Does the Bible tell us if you commit murder that you can't be forgiven? Well, how many of you know a man by the name of Saul who in, had an experience in Acts chapter 9 who became the gospel writer, Paul, and he used to be a murderer of God's church. Are you familiar with that? You realize that he was persecuting God's church. And did that keep him from being saved? Do you think Paul, the writer, the apostle of many New Testament books, is he going to be left out of heaven because he murdered? No, the Lord is able to forgive that, right? Well, some people say, well, if you commit adultery, maybe that's what the unpardonable sin is. Well, I want to ask you, have you heard of a man by the name of David? Now, David is a man that after he repented, he was, he was known to be a man after God's own heart, right? He fell away from God, but yet the Lord re, re, uh, forgave him of his sin, even though he had done such horrendous things. Not only did he commit adultery, but he killed the husband of the woman that he committed adultery with. Now, if there was one sin that was more horrendous than another, I think David's life would be pointing to it. But does the Bible say that there's an unpardonable sin? Is there a sin that cannot be forgiven? Well, in order to start this study, I thought it would be good for us to look at some of the passages that the Bible talks to us about, about God's forgiveness. Why don't we look at these together? The first one is Psalm chapter 86, verse 5. Do you think David knew about forgiveness? Absolutely. Notice what he says, Psalms chapter 86 and verse 5. He says, for you, Lord, are good and you're what? Ready to forgive. How many of you realize that that's a characteristic of God? That God's not one who holds His forgiveness from His people, but God is one who is always ready to forgive those who come to Him. Would you agree with that? You think of the story of the prodigal son in the Gospel of Luke and the son who wasted all the treasure that his father had given him. And we know that it's a symbol of us leaving our heavenly Father. And even though he had wasted all of his possessions, when he turned back to God, was the father hesitant to forgive his son? No, he wasn't hesitant at all. He ran to meet him. And we realize, just like David says, that the Lord is ready to forgive us. Now, notice this next passage. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9. This is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9. It says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to do what? And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, how many of you, when you read these passages, realize that God is a very forgiving God? Would you agree with that? You know, when God came down to Moses, Exodus chapter 34 and verse 6, He declares the character of God to Moses and He says, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful, gracious, long-suffering, and abounding in goodness and truth. In other words, God is a God who is characterized by His forgiveness. Now what we can see from this passage is that there is no sin that God is not willing to forgive. Does it say that confess your sins as long as it's not the unpardonable one that He will not forgive? No, no, no. It says that as long as you confess your sins, He does what? He forgives you. Now what is sin? Sin is a transgression of the law. 1 John chapter 3, verse 4 tells us so any time that we sin, that we go against the will of God, that we break God's commandments, is God willing to forgive us? Now, John continues to write on and he says, now we shouldn't take this as a license to sin, right? We realize that. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound, Paul asks? And he says, God forbid. 
He also says, you know, I've, I write these things that you sin not. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. But if you do sin, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Right? We're not taking the grace of God in vain, but we realize that when we do fall, that the Lord is merciful to forgive us. Now, just from these two passages of Scripture that we've looked at, I want you to think just logically, according to this passage of Scripture here in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, what is the sin that will not be forgiven? Reflecting the Holy, uh, of refusing the Holy Spirit, we'll get to that, but specifically from this passage, just looking at this, the Bible says, if you do what? Confess, if we confess our sins, that God will forgive it. So let me ask you a question. If you don't confess your sins, will you receive forgiveness? According to the passage here. No, no, no. There's a, there's a confession that takes place. Now, we're just trying to get a few things in line first. That could the unpardonable sin have something to do with the fact that people are unwilling to confess their sins? Now, like our brother told us, it has something to do with also rejecting the Holy Spirit. And that's actually what we're going to look at in this next passage together. Notice what it says. Matthew chapter 12, verse 31 and 32. Matthew chapter 12, verse 31, it says, Therefore I say to you that every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men. Now, how many of you are thankful for that? That the Lord is merciful, that He's going to forgive us, that He's slow to anger and abundant in mercy. He says that every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but then what's that next word? But. In other words, I have something to add to this idea, right? But the blasphemy against the what? The Spirit will not be forgiven man. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him either in this age or in the what? The age to come. Now does this sound like a very, a very positive thing that you want in your own life? It tells us that this is going to have consequences not only in this life, but in the life to come. In other words, you're going to be missing out on heaven if we're sinning against the Holy Spirit. Now this is very interesting how the Bible describes it, is that God is willing to forgive everything, but there's a sin when we sin against the Holy Spirit or something in connection with the Holy Spirit that God will not forgive, right? Isn't that what this passage of Scripture is telling us? Now what we want to look at this morning is what does the Bible talk about is the role of the Holy Spirit, right? Because if we're sinning against the Holy Spirit, it must have something to do with the function of the Holy Spirit in our own lives, and we're going to realize that through Scripture. So, so far we've seen that the unpardonable sin has something to do with the sin that we don't confess. It has something to do when we go against the Holy Spirit's working in our lives. And this is what we're going to look at. The question that we want to see is what is the role of the Holy Spirit? You know, John chapter 16, Jesus talks to us a lot about the role of the Holy Spirit. John chapter 16 and verse 8. And notice here, the Gospel writer gives us an understanding of what one of the primary functions of the Holy Spirit is. Notice what he says. John chapter 16 and verse 8. Talking about the Holy Spirit, notice what Jesus says. And when He is come, He will do what? He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of what? Judgment. Now, how many of you realize that this is one of the primary characteristics of the Holy Spirit? That the Holy Spirit, sure, He comforts us, but He also afflicts the comforted. Have you ever heard that idea? You know, when you're so comforted in your sins and you think that you're all right, God sends the Holy Spirit to do what? 
to convict us of sin and of the right way to live, right? And of righteousness and also that there is a judgment to come. Now this is what the Bible talks about is one of the primary roles of the Holy Spirit. And when the Gospel writer is telling us that every sin will be forgiven us except for the sin against the Holy Spirit, in other words, when we're resisting or going in an opposite direction of what the Holy Spirit is leading, he says that is the sin that cannot be forgiven. So does the unpardonable sin have anything to do with the fact that those who are following God start to resist the Holy Spirit's leading in their lives. Notice we're going to unpack this a little bit more from what the Bible says. We're going to notice what the work of the Holy Spirit is a little bit more. Now in Acts chapter 2, we've referenced this passage a couple times already in this meeting. Acts chapter 2, and you can open it just for reference so you can see it there. Acts chapter 2 tells us a very interesting story. We realize in Acts chapter 1, Jesus ascends to heaven, right? In the early part of Acts chapter 1. And then the, the disciples go to the upper room, right? You're familiar with this passage of Scripture. And they go to the upper room and they pray. And finally, on the day of Pentecost, what happens to the disciples? The Holy Spirit comes down in a very powerful way, right? And that's exactly what Jesus told them to wait into Jerusalem for until they receive the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, Acts chapter 2, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit of God, what does he do? He stands up in the midst of this Jewish festival and starts to preach, right? Now, are, are his words very popular words for the people of that time? Well, absolutely not. How many of you think that Jews would like to hear that they are the ones who crucified the Messiah? Now, this is what Peter starts saying. He starts saying, hey, you know that man Jesus that you crucified? Well, he was God, and it's your fault that he's dead. And as he's standing up, he's revealing how Jesus was the Messiah through Scripture. And at the end of it, all of the people, after hearing the truth of God, notice what their response is. Acts chapter 2 and verse 37. It says that they were cut to the heart. And they said, men and brethren, what shall we what? Do. You see, after hearing the Word of God, the Spirit had led them to conviction of their own sin. Would you agree with that? That's exactly what happens here in Acts chapter 2. And as the Spirit leads them to conviction of their sin, they realize that now it's time for them to make a decision, right? And they cry out to the apostles and they say, men and brethren, what shall we do? Now what would your answer be? Notice what the answer of Peter is and the rest of the apostles. He says, repent and let every one of you be what? Baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. You see, when Peter's preaching here, he says, I, I know that you've been going against the will of God. And as he speaks the Word of God to them, the, the truth of God's Word is impressed upon their heart by the Spirit of God. And as the truth of God's Word is impressed upon their hearts, the question comes to their mind, well, what do I do? And notice Peter's response is that there needs to be a repentance. What does it mean to repent? We've talked about this before. It means to make a 180 degree turn. Would you agree with that? It means that you have to literally, if you're going north, you start going south. If you're going right, you go left, right? There's an absolute change in the direction of your life. Notice here, when the Holy Spirit comes to work on the heart, this is exactly what was happening in Pentecost, that the Holy Spirit, when He reveals something to us, expects that our life is transformed by it. Would you agree with that? That's what Scripture tells us. That when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide us into all truth. That He will also convict us of sin. He will convict us of righteousness, the right ways to live. Not just the bad things, but the right things. 
And he will also convict us of the judgment. In other words, if we don't follow these things, we know that we're in danger of the judgment. And as we hear these things, we have a choice to make. Our choice can either be number one, to ignore it, or number two, to repent and turn from it. You see, God, when he leads us through truth in his word, he's not just expecting us to say, oh, that was really neat. But God is expecting that there will be a transformation of our life that takes place. Now we realize that this is exactly what happens and the Lord calls many of us to make decisions and we've, we've even had decisions where people have decided to be baptized through this time, right? You hear the truth of God's Word and you realize that it's true. And you say, Lord Jesus, I just want to follow you by grace through faith and the ability that Jesus gives me and I want to symbolize that through dying in the burial of baptism. And we realize that this is the same decision that the Lord is calling us to today. Now I want to ask you a question. When the Lord is calling us to repentance, and we refuse to turn, could it be that we're sinning against the Holy Spirit? Well, I don't think there's any could-be's about it. I think that's absolutely what it is. When the Holy Spirit is calling us with the Word of God, with the voice of truth, and as He's leading in our lives, if we refuse to follow Him, this is what the Lord is talking about when He's talking about the unpardonable sin. Now, we're going to continue to walk through this to build on this idea through Scripture and understand, is this what the Lord is telling us? You see, there's a transformation that needs to take place. Notice what Ephesians says. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30, Paul talking about this similar issue, he says something really interesting. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30, he says, do not what? Grieve. I want to ask you a question. What does it mean to grieve? When you go to a wedding, are many people grieving? Well, hopefully not, right? But when you go to a funeral, are people grieving? Right? They're, they're sad. Isn't that what it means? Don't make someone sad is to make someone grieving. So it says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. I want to ask you a question. How is it that you grieve the Holy Spirit of God? You see, if the Holy Spirit has one purpose, and that's to lead us into truth, if that's to convict us of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, when we push that aside, do you think that we're grieving the Holy Spirit of promise? Absolutely. There's no doubt about it that we're grieving the heart of God every time that we choose to ignore the way that He's leading us. Now, notice how is it that He leads us. It tells us in John chapter 16, verse 13, however, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will what? Guide you into all truth. Now, what is truth? What is our source of truth? Jesus says, sanctify them by Thy truth. Thy what? Thy word is truth. John 17, 17. So when the Holy Spirit comes, His job is to convict us of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. How does He do that? Well, He leads us into the truth. Well, what truth? How does He do that? He leads us into the truth of God's Word. Now, my friends, when the Lord is leading us into truth of His Word, what happens when we refuse to follow the truth that we know? You know, Jesus says, walk in the light while you have the light, right? Lest darkness come upon them. In other words, the light of God is moving, right? We saw that in Proverbs chapter 4, that it's like a shining path that grows brighter and brighter until that perfect day. And you see that the light of truth is moving with Jesus along the path of truth. And the question is, are we going to stay where we have always been, or are we going to follow Jesus as He reveals His truth to us? Isn't this what the Bible's talking to us about? Are we going to follow the Word of God as He leads us into all truth? Now the question is, what happens if we refuse to follow the Word of God. James chapter 4, verse 17 says, Therefore to him who knows to do good and does it not, to him it's what? To him it's sin. You see, when the, God is so fair, 
God winks at our ignorance, right? Isn't that what the Bible tells us? But when the Lord brings us into contact with truth, when the Lord is leading us, when He's convicting our hearts, when He's showing us the truth of the Bible, and we refuse to follow it, the Bible tells us that that's what is sin. Now, I don't know about you, but I realize that sin is what kept Adam and Eve out of the garden. I realize that sin is what crucified our Savior. And I realize that sin is also what's going to keep people out of heaven in the last days if they don't turn from it. And this is what the Bible is saying, that we possess the ability to do so. Would you agree with that? And as the Lord is telling us, I'm sending you my spirit, I'm leading you into all truth, I'm leading you through my word, the question is, what are we doing with what the Lord's leading us with? Now, I'm not just talking about things that we've talked in this seminar, but those are very important as well. But there's sometimes things in which you know the Spirit of God is convicting your heart to do something, and we refuse to do it, and I want to ask you a question. Is that safe ground to be walking on? No, my friends, we don't want to be one who are quenching the Spirit of God. We want to be filled with the Spirit of God. Would you agree with that? We want to be filled. We want to be walking in the Spirit. We want to be walking according to the ways that He's showing us. We want the truth of God's Word to be practiced in our life. And we know that we don't want to be people who quench the Spirit of God. Hebrews chapter 2, we're just looking at a, a survey of these things. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 3. Paul asks a sobering question here and he says, how shall we what? Escape if we neglect. Notice that's a very interesting word. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? What does it mean to neglect someone? Does it mean that they never heard it? Does it mean that they, the Lord didn't reveal it to them? No, negligence. They didn't do anything about it. The Bible is telling us how shall we escape the judgments of God if we neglect so great a salvation. You see, if we're, in, if we're refusing the leading of the Spirit of God, we know that we are not walking in safety, but we're really walking according to the carnal nature. Now, there's a lot of people who think that it's okay when it comes to learning new things from the Bible that all they have to do is, well, I'm not really sure what the Bible says. Even though it's written there in black and white, it's very clear and your heart's being convicted and stirred. And they think, well, I, I know I'm kind of being convicted of this, but maybe I'll just, I'll just wait a little bit. Now, I want to ask you a question. Is it ever safe to wait when the Holy Spirit is moving? What happens if we delay? You know, Satan doesn't care if we say, oh, just forget about that, and we throw it totally out of our lives. As long as Satan can lead us to a point of indecision, which I want to tell you is actually a decision. You know that, right? If he can lead us to a point where we're waiting, when the Spirit of God is leading us, he knows that right there is where we've already made our decision. And if he can keep us in that experience of just waiting and waiting while the Holy Spirit is persisting with our heart, do you think that the voice of God is going to become louder or quieter in your life? My friends, the Bible tells us that we can quench the Spirit of God. We can put it out. God's not a God who molests us with His presence, right? He's not there to continue to persist on our minds if we want nothing to do with it. And God tells us that when we continue to walk opposite to the course that He's calling us to, that there is no safety in it, that we're quenching the Spirit of God, and we're in danger of walking in the unpardonable sin. You see, the unpardonable sin is not some specific... During the Revolutionary War, there was a general by the name of Johann Hall. 
and Johann Hall was working, or Johann Rail, sorry, and he was working for the British military and leading the regime there, and he was there in North, or, uh, um, sorry, let me, let me get the facts straight. He was there in New Jersey. And as he's there in New Jersey, he's camped out with his crew, and they're getting ready to come into battle with George Washington. Now, as Mr. Rail is there with his officers, they're waiting at night, and as they're waiting, George Washington decides to move his troops towards them and to attack them by night. Now, what's interesting is there was a messenger that saw that George Washington and his men were moving, and so they ran to, to the colonel and said, hey, I want to tell you, here's a note for you of what's getting ready to happen. Well, you see, the colonel didn't really want to be bothered at that point because he was in the middle of a card game. You know, there's some just important things in life. And there as he's playing his card game, there in his tent, he, he just takes the note that the messenger brings in and he sticks it in his pocket thinking, I'll just wait till I read it. I'll just wait a little bit till I, I act on what he's sending me. And as he's there, he plays his card game, but while he's still unknown or un unaware of what's taking place, George Washington and his troops come, and the colonel, Mr. Rail, is killed by a musket shot. What's interesting is they found his body with the note unopened in his pocket. And I want to ask you, how much safety is there in waiting to follow what we're told? You see, the Bible's very clear that the Lord is trying to save us from the danger that's coming upon this world. And that's what we've looked a lot at here in Revelation, that there's a Jesus Christ who's clearly revealed in Revelation, right? And we realize that this Jesus Christ sometimes has different attributes than what we've thought. And Satan has so confused the lines between Christianity and the world that we thought, sometimes we think we're walking in the ways of God. And the question that comes to our heart is, what are we going to do? Whom you will serve, right? As for me and my household, we're going to serve the Lord. There is a decision that needs to be made and it can't be put off to tomorrow because tomorrow may never come and is the impression of the Holy Spirit going to be stronger tomorrow than it is today? Absolutely not. Don't be fooled into thinking that waiting makes things easier. But the longer you wait, the harder it becomes. You see, God is trying to warn us that we're not to grieve the Holy Spirit. Notice what he says in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 30. He says, He who is not with me is what? Against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. You see, Jesus tells us that there's two classes of people. There's a group of people that's with him, and then there's a group of people that's not with him. Notice there doesn't, the Bible doesn't say that there's a waiting group of people making up their minds who they're going to choose to follow. The Bible tells us that we are either fully surrendered to the Lord Jesus or we're scattering and we're working against the moving of the Spirit of God. My friends, we don't want to be on the other side. We don't want to be part of those people who are resisting the moving of the Spirit. But we want to walk by faith and not by sight. You know, many people say, well, I don't, I don't know if I can follow the Lord because I just don't feel right. You know, I just don't, I don't feel it in my heart. I mean, I, I see it, I, I know it, I see what the Bible's saying, but I just don't feel it. Well, does the Bible tell us that we're going to feel everything? Well, on the contrary, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 7, right? We walk by faith, not by sight or feeling, right? It's not always visible, but we're stepping out in faith, and faith is taking God at His word and saying, I'm going to act upon it. I may not know the end from the beginning, but here I am saying, Lord, I want Your will to be lived out in my life. I want the Spirit to continue to work in my life. I want to walk in the truths that I know. And Father, by Your grace, 
I'm going to continue to move in this process. Notice how Romans describes God's people. Romans chapter 8 and verse 14, it says, For as many as are what? Led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Now what a privilege God gives us to be called His sons and daughters. Wouldn't you agree with that? God tells us that we can be His children. That He can be our Father. Maybe we didn't have the greatest experience with our Father here on this earth, but God tells us that He's a Father like we've never seen before, right? And we can call Him our Father, and we can have the assurance that we are His children, but there's a qualification, or there's a reason that the Bible gives us why we can know we can call God our Father. What does it say? For as many as are led by the Spirit of God. My friends, there's many people today who want to claim the benefits of being a child of God while rejecting the leading of the Spirit. We don't want to be one of those people. We don't want to be in that group who's saying, Lord, I know what you're calling me to do. It's clear to me. I don't know why it's not clear to the rest of the world, but you don't make me responsible for everyone else. But Lord, I sense that you're leading me and we want to be your children. And so by faith, we do what? We follow the leading of the Lord Jesus as He leads us through His Spirit who leads us through His Word. This is what the Bible tells us is so crucial for us in these last days. You know, Jesus said something very similar in John chapter 8. He says, if you abide in My what? My Word, you are My disciples indeed. Many people are claiming to be the disciples of Jesus, but they're not abiding in the Word of God. They might be attempting to take bits and pieces and choosing what they think is important, but God doesn't say that. He doesn't say that it's a buffet or Baskin-Robbins where you can pick and choose what you want, but God says that when we are being led by the Spirit, that if we want to be called God's disciples, that we need to be abiding in the Word of God. How many of you say, Lord Jesus, I just want to abide in Your Word. Lord, I don't want to resist anything that You're calling me to do. Lord, I want to walk by faith, not by sight. I want to have this experience that You're talking to me about in Your Word. And Jesus says, as a result of this, He says, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. My friends, the world wants to make it look like truth is unimportant. Like truth is not attractive. But we know that the truth of God's Word is the only thing that can free us from the bondage of sin. It's the truth that Jesus is our only Savior that we know that we can have salvation, right? It's the truth knowing that God wants to spend a day with His people that we can rest with Him. It's the truth of understanding all of these things that the Lord leads us into experiencing a life more abundantly. We've talked many times about the things in the Bible throughout this meeting. Many of you have been studying, you've been learning, you've been seeing it. And I want to ask you a question. Does God give us things in His Word just to look at and to be amused by? Have you ever met people who sometimes treat the Bible like it's just a fact book? Oh, that's really interesting. Oh, I didn't know that before. Oh, that was really fascinating. But there's no transforming effect on the heart. Is that what the Lord's calling for when He wants us to study His Word, to abide in His Word? No, He tells us in John 17, 17 that we are to be sanctified by the truth, right? Through the truth of the Word. That it's to transform our law. My friends, are we allowing the Word of God to transform our hearts and our lives? Are we trying to claim that... The, childship or to be childs of God when we're not walking and being led by the Spirit of God. No, I believe that the reason why we're here is because the Lord is leading us through His Word. Amen? 
that we're here to walk by faith, not by sight, that we want to follow the Spirit of the Lord as the Spirit moves upon our hearts, as He convicts us through His Word, we want to say, Lord Jesus, I want to be ready. You know, the Bible gives us an example that's quite sobering, but it helps us to understand this a little bit more in light of what it means to follow the Word of God and to resist the Spirit Is there an example in the Bible, and we're going to look at a couple, that help us to understand the unpardonable sin a little bit more? Now, we've talked about this many times, and this is Noah, right? We realize that Noah and the ark, and God was getting ready to bring judgment upon the world. Would you agree with that? Now, if if you're not calling a universal flood judgment, I don't know what you would call judgment, right? So we realize that God is getting ready to bring judgment upon the world. But how many people does God want to be lost? The Bible tells us that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, right? And so God, knowing that the judgments of of Him would be brought upon this world, what did God do? Well, God always makes a way of escape. And God called a man by the name of Noah to build an ark, but not only was he building an ark, but the Bible tells us that he was preaching, right? It calls him a preacher of righteousness. And as Noah was preaching, do you think that God was working on the people's hearts? Notice what the Bible tells us. Genesis chapter 6, verse 3, it says, My spirit shall not, what? Strive with men forever. You see, the Spirit of God was there. It was striving with people. It was working with them. It was convicting them of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. It was showing them what was the way to walk in. And as Noah preached, how long did he preach? 120 years is God a merciful God. As Noah preached for 120 years, the Spirit was leading people. He was trying to gather people in. But the Bible tells us a very sobering fact is that the Spirit of God will not strive with men forever. You see, there comes a point where God says, if you don't want to walk in my ways, I'm going to allow you to continue to do what you want. And we see that because of the wickedness and the hard hearts of people that they didn't walk in the words that God was sending to them, but instead they chose to hold on to their own misconceptions and what happened. We know that the flood came and there were only how many people saved? Eight. The vast majority of the world was lost. Not because God didn't send them salvation, but like Hebrews said, they neglected it. They didn't act upon it. They didn't allow the Spirit of God to fill their heart. And they didn't walk according to the Spirit, but they walked according to the flesh. This is exactly what Paul talks about in Romans. And we see that this is the most dangerous position that any human can be on in the face of this earth. I want to ask you a question. Even though these people may not have felt convicted, they might not have felt like God was leading them, do you think they started to feel convicted when they started to feel raindrops for the first time in their life? as the water started to come up above their knee, do you think they started to feel a little bit convicted? But was it too late? My friends, if we wait for feelings, feelings aren't always on time. Feelings come and feelings go. There's a a song that one of our our doctor friends wrote, and it's to the tune of Yankee Doodle, and I won't sing it for you just to relieve your ears, but it says, feelings come and feelings go, and feelings are deceiving. Trust alone in the Word of God. It's something worth believing. Now this is exactly what it should be, right? Our feelings might not be there. And the people outside of the ark might not have thought, well, I don't know, I've never, I've never seen rain before. I don't really think this is going to happen. I mean, the vast majority of the world is walking opposite of the will of God, so I don't really feel it. But was there safety in feelings? No. 
Feelings came and they went. But the Word of God was sure and what God said is truly what He was calling people to do. My friends, the, the time that feelings come is often the time when it's too late to make a decision. We're not to wait until the Lord impresses upon us a great amount of feelings. But we have to walk according to the Word of God. You know, Jesus told, told a scenario to the disciples, Luke chapter 14, I'd like to look at, look at it together with you. Luke chapter 14, Jesus gives a parable to His disciples. Luke chapter 14, beginning in verse 16. Luke chapter 14, beginning in verse 16, and Jesus gives us a very eye-opening parable, and we're going to realize that this is not a parable that's just far-fetched, but we're going to see that this is great reality today. Luke chapter 14, beginning in verse 16, notice what he says. Then he said to him, A certain man gave a great supper and invited many, and sent his servants at supper time to say to those who were invited, Come, for all these things are now ready. But they all with one accord began to do what? Make excuses. The first said to him, I've bought a piece of ground and I'm, I, I must go and see it. Now that's pretty weak. But he continues on and he says, I ask you to have me excused. Now is the Lord someone who forces people to be there? No, okay, if you're asking me excused, go ahead. Verse 19, and, a, and another said, I, I have, I've bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to test them. I, I ask that you would have me be excused. Now are these just life and death issues? No. Notice, it continues on, verse 20. Still another says, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. Yeah, what does that have to do with anything about coming to eat, right? Bring her with you. But notice he continues on, verse 21. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servants, Go out quickly into the streets and into the lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. And the servant said, Master, it is done as you have commanded, and still there is room. Then the master said to his servant, Go out into the highways and hedges, and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper. I want to ask you a question. What is this talking about? Is God just throwing a potluck for everyone to come to? Is he just trying to create a meal? No, no, no. We realize that this is the heavenly banquet, right, being depicted here. And God, when he's calling people to his kingdom, it, did the reason the people didn't, is the reason the people didn't come because they didn't hear the call of the Lord. Is that what it says? No, they heard it. They heard it so much that they started to make what? Excuses. Now, how many of you have ever heard this? And how many of you, I'm not looking for a show of hands, but I can be 100% honest in saying this, how many of you have realized that when the Lord is calling you to do some, something, sometimes you know it so clearly that He's calling you, but you begin to do what? Make excuses. Well, Lord, I, 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 I know You're calling me to do that. Some people even walking through some of the truths that we've looked at. Lord, I, I know You're calling me to keep the Sabbath, but I, I don't know. I just can't do it. I mean, why would all my friends be wrong? Why would my church do this? Why, I, I love these people. Why is it that you're calling me to do these things? I want to ask you a question. Is that a good response? The Lord says that's an excuse. If I'm calling you, what should we be doing in it? 
We should be walking according to the will of God. If God is calling you out of Babylon, remember we've talked about Babylon and the religious confusion of the world that teaches the doctrines that were developed through the corruption of Christianity. If, you're, if they're teaching things about the immortal soul, if they're teaching things about Sunday sacredness, if they're teaching about idol worship, and we're saying, well, I see it clearly in the Bible what the Lord's saying to do, but, but I, don't, I don't know. I just I, Something came up. You know, I really need to be there. All we're doing is the exact same thing that we're seeing depicted here in Luke chapter 14. Now, it's easy for us to laugh at these people, but it gets a little more sober when we start to reflect on our own lot. And God is saying that there is no safety in excuses. Actually, those who made the excuse, how much of the supper were they going to taste? None of it. How much of the, the bliss of heaven were they going to experience? None of it. My friends, we never, ever want to ignore the promptings of the Holy Spirit. This is what the Bible is telling us. That the Bible is clear. That we must be walking by faith through the leadings of Jesus as we see Jesus, our beloved leader, who is the way, who is the truth, and He is the life, but we reject the truth part and say we want nothing to do with it. Are we still following Jesus? Brothers, we can't pick and choose. We have to allow the Bible to lead us, allow the Spirit of God to lead us through His Word. You know, there's a sad story recorded in Acts chapter 24. Acts chapter 24, this is where Paul is preaching on Mars Hill to King Agrippa. He's there in Athens sitting next to the pagan temples, and Acts begins to or Paul begins to preach to this man, and notice what happens. And after some days, then Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish. And he sent for Paul and heard him according to the faith in Christ. So we hear that Paul is preaching, right? Paul is giving them an understanding of what's happening through the Word of God. He's preaching what the Word of God says. Now as he reasoned about righteousness, about self-control and the judgment. Now does that sound similar to the working of the Holy Spirit? He convicts us of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, right? And it tells us that the fruit of the Spirit is self-control, right? This is really just the Spirit of God is working on his heart as, as he's preaching to him. And as he preaches about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and answered and said what? Go away for, for now. Is there danger in waiting? Go away for now. Have a, <laughs> a convenient time. I will call for you. Was the reason why Felix's heart, was the reason why his heart wasn't changed is because the Word of God wasn't clear? Does it say anything about that in that passage? No, it must have hit right at the heart of the issue, right? So much so that when he hears it, he says, well, hey, hey, why don't you go ahead and just take a hike for a little bit because I, I, I'm just going to wait for a convenient time. You know, and now is just not convenient. You're calling me to the supper of, of the Lamb. You're, you're calling me to follow the truths of the Bible. But I don't want to do it today. Maybe tomorrow. But notice what happens. This isn't the only place we see it. It happens again. And this is the one with King Agrippa. Forgive me. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? He's being preached to. I know that you do believe. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you what? You almost persuade me to become a Christian. Notice, was the issue the reason why he didn't become a Christian? Was it because he didn't believe? No, no, Paul even says to him, I know you believe. I know you see it clearly from the Word of God. 
You don't have any good reason based on the Bible to not follow what you're saying, so why is it that you won't walk in it? And all he can say is, you almost persuade me. You see, the Lord isn't looking for almost Christians. The Lord isn't looking for people who just wait for convenient times. But the Lord is looking for a people who will stand upon the Word of God, the Bible and the Bible only, as their only rule of faith and practice. And as the Bible depicts God's last day people, it doesn't say that they follow the Lamb wheresoever He goes when it's convenient, or when they have time to do it, or when they, when they feel it. But they just say that they're following Jesus wherever He goes. It's a constant process. They're walking in the truth of the Word of God. And my friends, how many of you want to say, Lord, I want this to be my experience? I want to be one who walks in the Word of God, who doesn't sit and wait, doesn't wait for a convenient time. But as I hear the voice of the Lord speaking to me through His Word, I want to act on those very things that I'm hearing. We talked about the danger the other night as well as we looked at the story of this man. Remember him? Harry Truman... As he was standing on the mountain, he was living on the mountain of Mount St. Helen right in 1980, right before the mountain was getting ready to erupt. And as the mountain was getting ready to erupt, people were trying to call him out, right? They were trying to warn him of the dangers that were to come. But did he leave? No, we saw he was pretty persistent in staying right where he wanted to be. When the earthquake shook him off his bed, what did he do? Moved his mattress to the floor so he wouldn't have to fall as far the next time. My friends, do we want to, when the Spirit of God is moving us, when He's visibly showing us what He's calling us to do, do we want to just make it easier so we're not convicted? No, no, we don't want to be moving our mattress to the floor. And we realize that in the destruction, in the eruption of that mountain, His word was true that He never left. He was never going to leave. That's what He said. And we realize that it cost Him His life. You know, we've talked about many things throughout the course of our study together. And it hasn't been my word that's been bringing you back. I can be 100% honest. And many of you have told me that. That it's been the word of God that brings us here each night, right? How many of us would be listening to something if the spirit of God was not moving in our hearts? I didn't force anyone to come back, but it was the spirit leading us into all truth, right? And as the spirit is leading us through the word of God, he's leading us to the point of decision. And now the question is, what am I going to do? Many of us think, well, I'm just going to go back to life like normal. You know, this was a really long April. But can we go back to life as normal? If the Lord is leading us in truth, we have a question to make. We either choose to follow the Lord in the truths that He's leading us in, or we choose to turn away from the leading of the Spirit. My friends, the reason why this is so important is because the topic of the unpardonable sin is so much closer to home than we often think. Any times we're ignoring the prompting of the Spirit of God, that's not a safe thing to do. But we realize that if we ignore the Spirit of God long enough that the voice becomes so quiet that we don't even hear it anymore. And we begin to wonder if the Lord is still leading us. And there comes a point where we just don't even care. But God is calling us here because He knows that we're people who are looking for something more. He knows that we're people who are looking to have a faith that's rooted in the Bible. And as God is calling us to walk by faith and not by sight, the reason why we've come night after night is because we want to respond to the Lord not by ignoring Him, but by walking in the things that He's shown. Isn't that true? Why else would we be here? And the Lord knows sometimes it takes strength to make those decisions. We know that sometimes it 
It takes stepping out from the norm of life. Sometimes it's being a little different than other family members. Sometimes there might be opposition at your workplace. But the question is, are we going to follow Jesus wherever He leads us? Just like in the time of Noah, in the time of Jesus, we're told that there's two groups of people. There's those who say, Lo, this is our God. We have waited for Him. And they rejoice at the coming of the Lord Jesus. And then there's those who cry to the mountains and the rock, fall on us and hide us from the face of the Lamb. And we realize that God has one group of people. That God has one people. And that that group of people is distinguished by the fact that they follow the Lord wherever He leads. The appeal this evening, or this morning, is very simple. Some of you have been a little bit undecided on what needs to happen. But tonight you want to say, Lord Jesus, I know the commitment that you're calling me to make. Maybe you're calling me to practice the things that we've heard about. Maybe I do need more information, and oh, okay, let's work through that, get the information, and not use it as an excuse, right? But you say, Lord Jesus, I realize you're calling me to a decision. And I'm not just speaking to the ones who, this might be your first time at this meeting. But you say, Lord, I know that you're leading. And by your grace, I want to make a stand for truth. I want to make a stand for the Word of God, and I want to make a decision to follow you with my whole heart. Maybe I haven't made a decision this whole time. There have been decisions for baptism and rebaptism, and Lord, I want to say this time, I need to make that decision. Maybe I haven't made the decision to be a part of God's Sabbath-keeping believers, but I want to make that decision today because that's the way that the Bible is leading. And you say tonight, or this morning, Lord Jesus, I want to follow the leading of your Holy Spirit. If it's your desire to say, Lord Jesus, I want to follow you wherever you lead, I want to ask you that you would stand together as we follow this. Don't just do it. If if there's hesitation, if you're not interested, feel free to stay seated. But if you say, Lord Jesus, I just want to follow you, wherever you call me, whatever you want me to do, Father, by your grace, help me to be one who will stand for the truths of your word. God bless you. Father in heaven, Lord, I just thank you so much for the privilege that you've given us to look through your word. Father, we're here because of the love of Jesus has pulled us and has drawn us to Yourself. And Lord, we just want to respond by saying we want You to have our whole lives. We want to be fully surrendered to You. Father, would You give us the grace? Would You give us the strength that we need to walk by faith and not by sight? Lord, for some of us, You're calling us to make hard decisions. But Lord, you want to say, we want to say by your, by your grace that we can move forward. And Father, we pray that You would empower us that You would give us Your peace, that You would comfort us, that as we give in to the moving of Your Spirit, that we would have peace that passes all understanding. And Lord Jesus, that we might have assurance that we can leave this place knowing that we'll be seeing You face to face in the clouds of glory soon. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.